Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. your host here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am a certified reconnective healing practitioner, certified sound therapist, and positive psychology practitioner with a private practice in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. Our chat room is open, so feel free to join the discussion that's already happening online. We do keep an eye on the chat room, so go ahead and post any questions you want, and I'll try to type in the answers to them as I see fit. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. With Audible.com, you can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. And you can get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. That's www.audibletrial.com slash energyawareness. You know, sometimes life can be challenging, and with that comes the opportunity to learn and grow. Most of us don't see that. When we're in the throes of the challenge, however, so, you know, we all get our share and we all manage to handle the challenges in the best way that we can. 
being in the moment, and I know we talk about that a lot here at Energy Awareness Radio, but being in the moment is the best way to get through whatever life presents. But sometimes that's challenging to do, and so we go into denial, or we just cruise along hoping things will ultimately work out, which they will, but not necessarily to our benefit. My guest is Melissa Carroll, a writer and yoga instructor who believes in the power of being present, being in the moment. Based in Tampa, she guides more than 200 students every week at the largest yoga class in Florida. And Melissa also helps run the teacher training programs at the Yoga Loft. She leads retreats all over the world, and she teaches creative writing at the University of Tampa. She is the author of Chapbook, The Karma Machine, and her work has appeared in many literary journals and magazines. She's joining us now to discuss her new book, which just launched on October 1st, Going Ohm, Real Life Stories on and Off the Yoga Mat. So, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for taking time to join us. How are you being Oh, I'm so well, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's such an honor to be here on Energy Awareness Radio. No, thank you. Uh, You know, your book is short and concise. It's a quick read, and you can read a couple of chapters at a time and really feel into the people's stories. And, you know, I just thought with this collection of yoga essays from all these people who really used yoga as a means to get through life challenges, you know, and I've seen more and more people coming to yoga classes and doing that specifically for that purpose. Do you see that as well? And was that the catalyst for you writing this book? Exactly. Um, you know, when I was first compiling the, the ideas for this book, I knew that I wanted to capture the stories and the glimpses into um, everybody's lives that might at first glance not seem perhaps that dramatic or traumatic. Um, and yet we all do go through, like you pointed out, these struggles. Um, we all experience self-doubt from time to time. You know, we've all felt in certain moments in our lives that we weren't good enough. And I think that the stories in this book really tap into that. Uh, and that's what I was so amazed about when I was then gathering the essays was that the themes that kept emerging again and again was this, this thread of the idea that we are not alone in this life, that we all uh, go through our fumblings and our stumblings, our trials, our tribulations, and for these people in various ways that yoga practice, sometimes directly in a yoga studio and sometimes very indirectly, this yogic wisdom and the physical practice and the meditative qualities can help inform their lives both on and off their mats. So um, that was also one of the reasons why I wanted to ask writers and not necessarily yoga masters. You know, I didn't want to ask the people wearing designer yoga pants who are particularly flexible doing headstands on the beach, you know, and posting their photos to Instagram. Those people are great. But I wanted to hear the stories from people who have felt the gravity of loss and can use the medium of language with which to express it so that we can remember that we're really all connected and that we all do experience these things. So their stories are just a reminder that they're everybody's stories, that it's one big narrative. They are everyone's stories. You can resonate with so many of them, even if it's not the same instance. You resonate with it because you realize, well, I do yoga, so I realize what people are saying And they're doing yoga, even if they don't realize they're doing yoga. There's a difference Mm -hmm. to me in the yoga classes that I've taken in the U.S. and abroad. Some classes I enjoy immensely, others not so much. (laughs) I think for me it's a case case of resonating with the instructor energetically. I can work with a lot of different energies, so I enjoy a lot of classes. But when there's too much focus on the physical fitness aspect – I don't get as much out of it as when the focus is on going within, which is what I feel yoga is actually about. I mean, that's what a yoga is about. So when I – sometimes I'll do a class, and I'll, it'll be the, the regular instructor, and sometimes it feels like it's marathon yoga. And I'm like, okay, are we in a hurry? What's going on? You know, and then another time – and I still can do it. And another time, you know, it will be very focused and you hold the stretches longer, you hold the postures longer. And in either case, it's always what you need, though. 
And I think that must be wow. difficult for the instructor to read the class and see what is it that they need because people walk out and say that's exactly what I needed. And everybody's saying the same thing. So it's amazing, you know, mm-hmm. because we all get something different from it, and yet we all get the same thing. Right, right. Well, I love, too, what you said, um, that we're doing yoga even when we don't think we're doing yoga. I mean, that's so true, um, and I completely agree with you. I'm I'm also one of those people who, you know, I, I think yoga's assimilation in the West has resulted in this distillation, right, um, where it mm-hmm. has, in a lot of avenues, become very focused on the physical. And it's it sort of... Uh, just become then another method for us to keep going with the energies and the ego-oriented maybe ambitions that our Western framework has already set into place. So people will take yoga, but it's not really the kind of yoga that they need, right? It might be that very, like, young-style, powerful yoga. And there are tremendous benefits to that. You know, I'm not trying to badmouth that. But for me, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. The type of yoga that I enjoy is the yoga that really focuses on the more comprehensive view of yoga as a path towards inner peace. And the only way to really do that is to turn within and to appreciate the meditative space that one can arrive in. And, you know, I actually just learned recently, um, I took a pranayama workshop, a breathing workshop, and the instructor was so fantastic. And she told us that in classical yoga, this is the yoga of the sutras, the yoga of the Vedas, thousands of years old, there were only four postures, four asanas, and they were all just variations of sitting. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. There was no yep. dog. There was no yep. forward fold. It w- and they were only designed to m- prepare your body so that you can sit for meditation because that's where the real magic happens. That's where right. the true transformation can occur. And, um, you know, over the hundreds of years, we've developed these wonderful postures, which I think are very necessary where people are spending, you know, 50, maybe 60 hours a week sitting in a chair. Their hips are tight. Their shoulders are tight. Their body's collapsing forward. The postures are a wonderful antidote to open us up, not just physically, but energetically and then emotionally as well. Um, it's, all, it's all stored and interwoven together. Um, but I do agree that for, for me and my own personal journey with this practice, that I'm arriving more at a point where uh, I, I prefer the, the gentle classes. I prefer the classes that encourage the students to sit with a pose and see what comes up, right, to almost confront your mind in each pose. Mm-hmm. And if you're just slamming through postures, moving really quickly, you don't really get the opportunity to do that in the same way. No, not at all. You're just doing this for the physical fitness, and that's fine because sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll throw my mat down and just go through postures because I need to get something out, and I don't feel like doing my Bowflex machine, and I don't feel like doing my aerobics, and, you know, and I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to do yoga, and you do get stuff out of it. It's funny because people have said to me often, you know, these postures are so old, and I'm like, no, they're not. And they're like, yeah, they are. And I'm like, no, really, they're not. And they're like, no, these are ancient. And I'm like, okay, if ancient is the last hundred years, because that's really where the postures came into play, then okay, that's ancient. But I don't think that's ancient. And people are surprised by that. You know, they're like, what do you mean? (laughs) I find it amusing. Yes, they are. It's so true. They're picturing people on a mountain in Tibet doing these postures, doing tree, you know, tricking us and I'm like, no, really, they weren't doing that. They were just sitting around. (laughs) They were literally just sitting around. I I joke uh, with my meditation students that my favorite thing to do in the world is absolutely nothing. I just love to sit and do nothing. (laughs) Because, of course, that's what it looks like from the outside. But internally, that's, that's where everything's happening, where we get to actually see where our thoughts are moving and what they get glued to and the the narratives, right, that we tell ourselves. And um, it's really quite amazing when people can slow down enough to pause and watch their thoughts and then to realize that they don't have to believe their thoughts. They don't have to be their thoughts, um, which I think we, we get stuck in. 
throughout our lives. You know, we believe mm-hmm. the stories that we've been telling ourselves. You know, oh, I can't do that. I've never been good at that. Or, oh, I only like things this certain way. Or whatever those narratives might happen to be. And so, I mean, there are a myriad of benefits to meditation. And that's just, just one of them, of course. And but you it know, all goes back to being present. It does. And a lot of people come into yoga because they'll say, okay, well, I'm doing it as an extra exercise thing. I heard about it at the gym, and so now I'm taking the class, and I'm doing it for the physical fitness, not realizing that every time they come in, they're getting closer and closer to real yoga. And I noticed this probably two or three months ago. I went to my class, and it was a different instructor, and every single person in the room was like, wow. And I said, now that was yoga. And everybody looked at me, you know, the people who, and I said, really, that this, this, was really good good yoga that was yoga and the people a couple of people that said it I knew they were there for the physical aspect and they really enjoyed it everybody walked out like on a high it was really Mm. it was amazing to see that and I thought that was wonderful and I'm also seeing a lot of men coming back to it because probably for the past I don't know 50 60 years yoga has been primarily female oriented but it it started out as a male practice, of course, right. but I, I've noticed a huge, huge increase in the number of males practicing yoga and high level. We've got CEOs coming in, attorneys, these are high-powered, high-stress people, and they're learning that this does reduce your, your stress because it quiets your mind, and they get exactly. that, and that's why they're coming. Have you noticed an increase in that as well? I absolutely have, yeah, and um, it is. It's amazing. I felt that maybe a few years ago, um, maybe about um, four or five years ago, I felt like I had to encourage my male friends to take yoga, and you know, and they would say like, "Oh no, no, I'm not going to do that." Now I don't even have to encourage any guys to do yoga because they're already there. They're already showing up to the classes, and I think that's so wonderful to see that shift and that sort of um, gender equanimity happening. And it is really fascinating, like you pointed out, how yoga originally started off, of course, as an all-male discipline in India. And when it got over to the West and began to take root in America, it was really, and it really has been a female-oriented practice. Um, but it is. It's, it's really lovely and refreshing to see that the tides are changing. And it reminds me of um, that wonderful essay in Going Home by Alan Shaw called Broga. <laughs> and mm-hmm. how he talks in his very signature wit and wisdom. He talks about the idea of being a guy in a yoga class And, of course, in a very funny way, he talks about how you might market yoga in America toward men, and you can play heavy metal music, and you can rename the postures to be more, quote, unquote, manly, right? Like, tree bows can be called murder tree, and these ridiculous things. And, of course, he's being facetious. But underneath that, then, he talks about his background and growing up as from what he calls um, a family of Mormon rednecks <laughs> and how their ideas of how men should behave and going back to those narratives, right? Boys don't cry. Even something that seems so cliche and innocuous gets rooted in our minds and our perceptions and that dictates then how we behave throughout the rest of our lives. And so he found this challenge when approaching his yoga practice. And I joke with him that he's one of the only people um, in my life that I'm I'm not perturbed when he says that he's only in yoga for the physical and he's not in it, as he says, for the namaste. Mm -hmm. Because he knows (laughs) that there is some secret, you know, hidden wisdom in the practice. And he acknowledges maybe his own limitations and his own struggle at trying to get at what that, peace is all about, right? He's still kind of so stuck in his ways of being, um, but he's smart enough to recognize that other people are deriving this tremendous benefit, that it isn't all just a physical practice. And so I think, I think his essay is so wonderful because it operates on those different layers where you've got the humor, but underneath that, you've got this exploration. It's really just about searching, searching for meaning. 
And I think it's in some ways what we're all doing. We're all just seeking meaning in our lives. And for me, and I know obviously for millions of other people, probably you too, T-Love, um, we found some profound meaning on our yoga mats. And it might for some people have come as a surprise, right? They weren't expecting to be yeah. so changed by yoga. And yet we are. And, you know, his, his essay, it, it was funny to read, but the underlying current of it was, yeah, you're not getting it, but you really are. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and I thought, yeah, okay, you're not fooling anybody. I know you're getting it. It's okay. That's why you keep going back. And right, maybe they can't put a name on it, but that's why they mm. keep going back because there's something that's shifting within them that might be so subtle. And then one day there's that aha moment and they realize, wow, when you get to the point where you need yoga, you know, you yeah. need to go because your body is telling you, I need to go. I need to go. I and mean, there was a time when I couldn't go for a little while and I thought, I need to go, you know, and <laughs> I had so many meetings and everything. And when you went, it only took like maybe three or four days to really get back into it and, and know what you could do. And it's not, I, I, I don't like to really word it that way because, you know, it's not about, it's not a competition. It's not about mm-hmm. trying to, can I do it? Can I do it? It's about deepening into it to feel the stretch to go deeper within. And I always put my mat in the, I have a spot in my yoga class. It's in the back by the fireplace. It always has been, always will be probably. And everybody pretty much knows that. And I'm there because I go so often when a newbie comes in, it's like, don't look at me. Don't look at me and do what I try to do because when she says do the challenge, I'm doing it. And you can't because you'll wreck yourself. So please don't look at me. And people have said you should be in the front. I don't want to be in the front. I go for me. I don't go Mm -hmm. to show off. I don't go to – I go for me because it helps me in my work. So when I go three or four times a week to yoga – regular yoga and then I go and take a blindfolded yoga class where we're doing all the standing postures that allows me to really focus so that when I'm with a patient I'm focused on that patient I know how to get into it really quickly so I use it for my work but I also use it for me and I I would not want to teach. People say you should teach. I don't want to teach yoga. It's not my forte. I don't. I want to take it. I don't want to be responsible for everybody else in the room. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. I'm very greedy about my yoga. I'm very greedy. <laughs> uh, no, that's not, that's not. That's actually very, that's generous, right? Because you you know in your heart, right, what, what your practice is about. I, I heard um, a couple of years ago a great saying that really resonated with me that we do our um, yoga practice as yoga teachers. We practice for our students. Um, and then our yoga teaching itself is really for us. Uh, because for me, I feel like I get so much joy and so much benefit when I get to share yoga with a room full of people and be there um, with them. And that when I'm doing my own personal practice, it's ultimately benefiting my students because I, the, the more that I deepen my practice and can feel my way around various postures and think, oh, maybe I can articulate this stretch in this way, maybe that will speak to certain people, or maybe we could try getting into a posture in this more gentle way for those who might have sciatica or whatever it might be. Um, right. You know, my practice is ultimately for my students, although, of course, it's for me, too, let's be honest. But my yoga mm-hmm. teaching is also for me in that, in that way. Um, and I'm like you. I like, when I take yoga, I like to be in the back because my ego needs to be tamed a little bit. And if I'm in the front row, my mind will be thinking about if other people are looking at me, and I don't want to mm-hmm. have to go there. I want, like you said, to be in my own practice. And I think that it's so amazing that you take a blindfold yoga class. Is that every week that they offer a blindfolded class? No, I am. I have to drive into New York City to get that. And I have to tell you, it, you, you could definitely teach it. It's fabulous. You just have to really make sure as the instructor that you are saying absolutely everything because nobody can look to see what you're doing. So you have to oh, say I love everything. That. You know? I and love that it, so it, much. It's thrilling. It really is because you really have to focus and go within and maintain your balance. You can't do, you know, uh, trikonasana easily. You can't do tree easily. You have to really know what you're doing and do it and, and concentrate and focus. And that's the whole purpose of it is to focus. And I get so much more out of that. 
So, yeah, it's great. You, you should probably think about doing it. <laughs> I'm sure you oh, could. I, I, you, oh, I absolutely will. This has so, totally inspired me. I love this. Um, I think this you is, can this, it's very trouble. exciting. Yeah, a couple of years ago they did a segment on the Channel 7 ABC News at night about a yoga class in New York, and now there are a few of them. And when I can get in there, I do it. And if I can't, I just throw the blindfold on and do it myself. And exactly. it is very, yeah, it really does something. It, it takes you further. So when you've been doing yoga for 30 years like I have, it's like, okay, I'm doing yoga for 30 years, and, and now it's like I need to do something a little bit deeper, and this really did it, you know. So, yeah, right. I really I like it a lot. It's really good. One thing I've noticed about yoga, just in the past 10 years probably, maybe not even, yeah, probably the past, let's see, probably 10 to 12 years, initially when I would, you know, doing yoga, I mean, it was a class I could take in high school in gym, and I would take it, and not a lot of people did. And I loved it. And then, you know, people started thinking, well, that's just weird. It's, it's a religion, and we can't do that. We're Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now, I was brought up Catholic, and I thought, really? Because this really isn't religion. You're not buying into anything. You're not speaking the Sanskrit that you don't understand. Because there are people who do that at the end. They speak the things and devote themselves to. I'm not reading that. I don't want to do that. That's not for me. But mm. that's not what every yoga practice is. And probably just within the 10 to 12 years, like I said, it's really come around where it's not shunned as much by the religious groups and not considered a religion. And a lot of people don't, they consider it a practice, but they're not using the word a spiritual practice as much because I think it's been, you know, it's come here. And so, mm, you know, it's westernized. It's, it's, it's um, changed. There's been a transformation from what it was in India to now what how do you feel about that yeah this is a really important and fascinating element of yoga's migration from the east to the west and you know it it kind of i feel like it goes both ways because I, i appreciate the fact that uh yoga is so much more widely accepted of course that's fantastic. And I think yoga should absolutely be taught in schools. I think kids, oh my God, if I had yoga when I was in middle school and high school, I, who knows how that would have changed my life for the better so much, especially during those years, those tumultuous years of deep anxiety and depression and struggling with mm-hmm. self-worth and belonging. And, you know, these are, this are not uncommon issues that a lot of kids go through, especially now with even more pressures and even more um, social anxieties, right, with, with, te- with technology and the media and everything. Um, yes. At the same time, though, uh, because of that, I guess, widely held acceptance, like you pointed out, um, people consider yoga more as just a practice, as a physical practice. And the spirituality has kind of shed it away um and i think like anything in this country you can get your yoga in any style and any flavor that you want if you want to do like hot booty buns yoga (laughs) which exists um you can totally do that you can do yoga with your dog um you can do black light yoga who really knows how to do downward dog well right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Yeah, yeah you're, you're speaking from the master at that point. Yes. Um, but, but, and if you want to go the traditional spiritual route, you can seek out those teachers and you can go to ashrams and yoga centers and institutes where they are teaching the eight limbs, where it's not just this watered-down version of some yoga postures. Um, so it's tricky, and I guess... It's beautiful that we have so many opportunities and ways in, but really right now in my life I'm I'm kind of a purist and I I really hope that yoga's full integrity and the full eight limbed approach like we were talking about um can get just as much airtime, so to speak, as as the other ways. And that might mean talking about some of those like taboo things about what om actually means and chanting om at the end of class and of course it's not for everybody and that's totally beautiful and totally cool um so it's just about i guess 
finding what works best for the student and, and giving the student as many opportunities as they can to see what, what avenue down their practice is going to work for them. And, you know, OM is a vibration that just fills your whole body and raises you up and does so much for you. It's not, to me, a religious thing. I just remember once being in a class where they handed out cards and we were repeating things. And I said, what does this mean? And they told me, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't say that, you know, because I'm not going to give myself to Buddha like that. I'm not doing that. I'm sorry, I can't. They were fine with it, and then they stopped doing that practice, actually, and that was quite a few years ago. But, you know, that it kind of really... It really sat wrong with me because they should tell you what you're saying. You know, I don't mind saying anything as long as I know what it means, then I can make the decision. Now, there's a lot, a lot of hot yoga, a lot. And I <laughs> there sweat is. in yoga anyway, and I'm like, I cannot, please do not turn up the heat. I'm sweating anyway because I work my yoga. And, you know, I look around the class and I asked the instructor once, I said, how come I sweat and nobody else does? What's going on? What's wrong with me? She said, no, no, you just work your yoga. And then she wanted to turn the heat up. I said, please don't do that. Please do not do that. I do not want to do about yoga. It's just, I don't know, sometimes it's too hot. And I have to say that there are some studios where they, once you're in the room, they will not let you out. And I have a real problem with that because if somebody's having trouble breathing, you let them out. If this is too much for them, yeah, and you shouldn't be yelling at people saying, you have to do this, stop laying on your mat. Really? Because it's going to take one person to have an issue and then yoga is going to go away. So, you know, I really think people need to look at who the instructors are, how it's being taught so that it's not a mandate and it's not you have to. There's really no rules. You just do the best you can and you go to your edge and you don't worry about what everybody else is doing because it's all about you. This is really one place where it's absolutely positively okay, not self-centered, to be completely about you. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing that there's a place where they lock the door. That would almost incite a feeling of claustrophobia, I think, for a lot of people, probably myself included. And I'm actually with you. I do not – we're very similar to love, you know. I um, sweat no matter what. Like, I'm very pitta in the Ayurvedic sense. I have that, like, that fire element. And so Mm -hmm. I joke that all yoga to me is hot yoga. And I don't. Um, I, I really, it's hard for me to appreciate my practice when I'm dripping sweat and it's just saturating my mat and I'm kind of sliding all over my mat. Um, I actually teach that big outdoor class. Um, we teach it at this beautiful park in downtown Tampa, and that's the class where we've been getting, um, we've been doing this class for four and a half years, and it's a donation-based class through one of the great studios where I teach yoga downtown Tampa. And um, so because we've been doing it for so long, we've been getting these days over 250, 300 people come out every day from all walks of life. Yeah, it, I'm on a mic. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I'm loud, but I'm not that loud. <laughs> yeah, um, and and it's fascinating, you know. And of course, a class like that comes with its challenges because people will show up yeah. because it is a donation-based class, and they've never done yoga before. And so, I do keep that class um, pretty beginner-friendly, actually very beginner-friendly, because when you're working with so many people, I can't give adjustments and I can't give that individualized attention that I think you can't can be. Them. They're too far away. It's 200 people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It would be impossible. Um, yeah. But even at that class then, over the summer, I mean, we always joke that now we're really doing hot yoga. And for me, it's pretty agonizing to be out there teaching. And when we go into forward fold, um, and I'm sort of demoing about 50% of the time, uh, and sweat rolls into my eyes, you know, and then I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to close my eyes for the next couple of minutes while we, we go through this. Um, but it is energetically, it's such an, an amazing experience to have so many people come together and breathe and move. And, and yeah, to hear the ohm at the end is, is so beautiful. And going back to what you said with ohm, it, it really is. It's, I think, just a remembrance of mm-hmm. our energy and that everything is made up of energy. Everything right. vibrates, and all matter vibrates. And that sound ohm is just a way of us 
almost like paying tribute to what we are, which is everything, and it's all interconnected. And so um, I think that also is the essence of yoga is that it's spiritual, but it's practical spirituality. It's not about um, maybe worshiping a divine being. It's about being present and being grateful and being kind and moving through all of these different ways in our lives with a little more mindfulness and a little more compassion for ourselves and for others. So I think there are very obvious spiritual elements to a yoga practice, but can reverberate with our contemporary lives so seamlessly because it is, it's just really practical stuff. Um, And I I wonder if that's why so many millions of people are finding this, what, what they didn't even know maybe they were looking for when they stumbled upon a yoga class because they heard it was good for their low back or whatever. (laughs) And I think that's probably true. And it's interesting that you should say it's not about worshiping a divine being, and yet it really is. It's about worshiping yourself, and we are all divine beings, and we need to figure that out and feel it. But people think when you say, you know, I don't know, have you ever seen that movie that Shirley MacLaine was in called Out on a Limb? I haven't. It's a fabulous movie, okay? It's a fabulous movie. It's out there, but it's fabulous. And I watch it probably once a year, and I just love it because at one point she's told to stand at the ocean with her arms out and say, I am God, and she said, I can't do that. And then she finally could do it and realized in saying, I am God, that we are all part of God. We are all divine. And so there is a divine being within you that people don't want to say because it sounds somewhat pompous or conceited or, you know, a, a little arrogant that you are God. Well, yeah, we all are. We're all made from the same makeup. We're all made from the same fabric. And so we're all connected because we're from the same fabric. So we're all a divine being in and of ourselves. So I think people realize without even knowing, without even anybody telling them that when they're doing the yogic practice, it really is about themselves and they can feel it gives them confidence. They feel good about themselves. They can go out. You feel like you can conquer the world when you're done with the yoga class. You know, you feel like, wow, I feel really good. This is good. And so you're worshiping the divine within your authentic self. And I believe it removes a lot of blocks where you can then move forward and things will start to flow better toward you, you know, Mm. and then there are the people who, mm, you know, not so much. They, they, they don't, I don't like, when people bastardize anything and it shouldn't be that way you know have you ever watched the housewives of new jersey now you're from new jersey so have you ever watched that show i am you know i've got to i've got to make a confession i actually don't um own a tv so i have not but i do i have heard of the show and i have a lot of friends who like love it and they have their favorite characters although they're, they're well they're characters but they're also real people i guess yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's one woman, I think her name is Dina, and at the beginning of the show, everybody's got a tagline, and her tagline, and when I heard it, I thought, oh, see, now I don't like you, Dina, and that's sad, (laughs) because she says says whatever she says, and she goes, namaste, bitches, and I thought, oh, no, 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 that doesn't work in the same sentence. Now don't tell me you're spiritual. Please don't tell me you're spiritual. And she puts on this air of spirituality, and I thought, wow, it's okay to swear. I don't care if you say the F word. I don't really care what you say, but don't use it in context with something else and try to make it cute or funny because that it's almost like a sacrilege. And I know this isn't religious, but it's like you're taking something away from it, and you're not taking it seriously. And I just, you know, and it bothers me that I feel that way because that's judgmental, but I keep thinking, I don't, I don't know. That's just not really that's not really a nice thing to do, you know? Um, so I think that potentially if, if she would just be able to, you know, um, not say that particular word after the namaste part, it would be fine. But with the fact that she said that really just kind of went up my nose. I mean, does it bother you or <laughs> am I just crazy? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of funny because the whole namaste bitches um, thing has become this really quippy tagline, and that it is this, this strange cultural phenomenon that's going on with yoga in this country, and that's actually part of the reason why I wanted to create this book, because I wanted to 
tap into then the pulse line of everybody's experiences from different walks of life. And, you know, it's, it's very um, troublesome, right? I, I've gone through what, what you experienced too in a lot of ways with yoga and how I've viewed it as being totally bastardized. Um, you know, it's, there's been this whole culture on Instagram um, of people, primarily young women, who are beautiful and wearing, like, bikinis on the beach or some other inspiring place and doing some wildly uh, fantastic yoga pose, right? And it's really not even a yoga pose at that point. It's more like acrobatics. Um, mm-hmm. It's usually, you know, they're, they're doing a handstand with a split or something like that. Um, and so the, the fusion of gymnastics and yoga I've really seen come into play. I'm sure you've seen this, too, in various ways mm-hmm. over the last uh, five, ten years. Really, the last five years, I think it's picked up a lot of traction. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, the same thing, my total reaction was, oh, that's not yoga. It, you know, it makes me feel a little bit bad about myself because I, you know, I'm not particularly flexible. I know I teach yoga and I've become flexible in certain postures because I do them all the time, Um, but I'm definitely not one of those like naturally bendy people by any stretch Mm -hmm. of the imagination. Um, And so I had a really great conversation with another friend of mine who's a yoga instructor who these pictures did not bother her at all. In fact, they inspired her and she loved looking at them and I was just so curious. I was like, wow, why does this not anger you? Don't you think this is just like destroying the sanctity of of the the yoga practice? And she just said, well, I just think, you know, we've all got our own paths and our own ways. And she was so at ease about this whole thing. And I was getting so hopped up on it. And it made Mm -hmm. me step back and think, okay, maybe I've got, to sit and meditate on this idea and see. And I I actually read an article a couple of months ago about how yoga is everything in in the yoga world. So even though it seems like it's really fragmented and really fractured, and there are some practices that, in my opinion, really honor the the tradition of yoga and focus on other elements, um, whereas others stick to the surface physical expression of the practice, um, that, that it's still all part of it. It's still part of this journey. It's all just an amalgamation of this process. And so I think that that sort of helped me to try and reconcile uh, the seeming dichotomies that are Emerging in the yoga world, and it so it really is just so fascinating on so many levels. You know, yoga is one of the few spiritual practices where its practitioners do like debate about what yoga actually is. You know, mm-hmm. um, right? And I think that's just it, it is. It's it's we're at this really intriguing point in history with yoga in the West, um, and I, I'm very curious and very excited to see where yoga is going to to take shape and evolve and I'm really hopeful actually that the yoga practice will begin to swing back toward its traditional roots and that more and more people are going to come to a yoga practice through the vehicle of the body Um, but then like you were saying earlier they're going to realize all of these other things are now opening up. And they mm-hmm. do, you know, we, we get the yoga high when we leave class. Yeah. And it's so, it's so great. Um, and I think that's causing people to inquire a little bit more deeply about their yoga practice. And I completely agree with what you said earlier, too, about how the divine exists within us. And isn't that going back to, like, the, the idea of namaste, right, that the divine in me honors the divine, that light um, in you as well. Yeah, and when you add the word bitches afterward, it kind of wipes all that away. And I'm thinking, okay, see, that's, <laughs> that's, that's just not right. There's something. I've tried to deal with it myself, and I agree with absolutely everything you just said. But 
when she, because it, it can take different forms and it can, you know, when you're starting out in bridge and it turns to wheel and then all of a sudden your legs mm-hmm. go over your arms and you're in a handstand, now you're standing upright and you can start doing sun salutations. Okay, great. That's wonderful. <laughs> and that is partly gymnastic, but it's still yoga because you're feeling into your body, you're stretching it and everything, and you're not criticizing anyone else. And I think that's what bothers me. Mm-hmm. It's like, here, I'm going to give you the gift of namaste and now I'm taking it away because I think you're a bitch. And I'm like, that's just wrong. You know, that it was, it seemed nasty to me and I didn't like the way it was right. said you know and that just it's it still I just think I think less of her which is really sad because I think wow okay you know you, supposedly you go to yoga what are you what are you really doing you know um right. one of the things right. that you mentioned was the partnering with the gymnastics a few years ago rumor had it that the Olympics were going to now bring in yoga as an Olympic event and uh, do you remember that do you remember that at all that was probably yes like I do ago. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That was just like, seriously, this is not a competition. This is not a thing that you compete in. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I can't believe it. Who's coming up with this and saying, let's, let's have yoga be a, a competition, when, in fact, you can do the floor exercises. They can incorporate yoga into it to see if people, are, and just not call it that, but instead having yoga and see how long can someone hold a tree, is it perfect. It's not a competition like that. And then uh. kind of, I think of people kind of backed off of that because I didn't hear anything further. Have you? No, I haven't. And I'm very thankful for that too. I, I Me totally too. agree. We well, said earlier that yoga is not a competition. Um, and isn't it amazing that there are those yoga competitions out there? I believe it's, it's the, the Bikram tradition has a lot of competitions. And I mean, really talk about, distilling the practice down to that one level of the physical. Um, One of my meditation teachers, a wonderful Buddhist monk, his name is Chokian, he would say, even with meditation, you know, from the outside, someone might look like they're very peaceful. They might be sitting in perfect Zen posture, you know, sitting up nice and tall, eyes closed, uh, lovely repose on their face. But inside, maybe their mind is going a million miles an hour, and maybe their ego is flaring up, and they're getting caught up in all this stuff. We really can't tell from the outside (laughs) the depth of somebody's practice. So when you then start to just judge people on the outside, there's there's nothing in the inside to even talk about. That whole discussion becomes null and void because all we're focusing on is the physical expression of the practice, and that's just one expression of this much deeper, multifaceted way of being. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, the goal of yoga is meditation. So, of course, you know, you finish all the postures, and now you're laying in Shavasana, and you're meditating and then you sit up and meditate for a little bit, perhaps if that's part of what the instructor wants you to do for the day. And I mean, I love that part because you do get to go within and really feel into what you've done. But I've seen people with pads of paper or start texting and I'm thinking, really? (laughs) Oh yeah. Just enjoy the Shavasana. Seriously. You know, you got to text yourself notes because you're thinking of things, but the, the meditation part, uh, oftentimes when I have people come to me in my private practice and I'm not a yoga instructor, and they'll say to me, you know, I can't meditate, so I don't bother. And I say to them, you're never going to learn to meditate. Nobody is successful at it, even the Dalai Lama, because your mind is going to go off. The whole thing about meditation is to be aware that, oh, I'm thinking of my grocery list. Oh, I'm thinking about the errands I need to do and bringing yourself back. Because when you're successful at it, when you're truly, fully intimate, you're dead. (laughs) <laughs> and they look at me and they say, that's the only way you can get to that, being in totally present. You're completely dead because there's nothing else to worry about, <laughs> you know. And nobody really knows what's on the other side that you have to worry about, but you're certainly not worrying anything about, and worrying about anything in the physical. So, you know, when people will say, I can't meditate, I'll say, you know, just set your kitchen timer for two minutes. Get off the phone yep. two minutes early with your friends. Set it for two minutes. Just sit there. Do the best you can. I don't care if it takes a year of two minutes. You will figure out at some point, I like this. And you'll do three. Yeah. And then you'll do five. And then you'll do ten. And they'll say to me, how long do you meditate? I meditate a half an hour in the morning and I half, meditate a half an hour in the evening. I have to because, to me, this is part of the work that I do. I need to stay. I'm a type A personality. I don't know if that comes across on here. I'm quite sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't know where she goes when I'm working on people, but she is not in the room. 
she has left the building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to do that. You have to be able to do that. So anyone, if I can do it, anybody can do the meditation part. Which leads me to this question because we're getting close to the top of the hour. What is, and I know the answer, but I'm going to let you explain all of this. What is your favorite <laughs> yoga pose? <laughs> oh, you know my favorite pose is Shavasana. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, um, oh, oh, shavasana all day, shavasana every day. <laughs> shavasana is the point, right? Um, I think that, and actually, I, sometimes though, I love like you were saying, uh, sukhasana, that seated posture when mm-hmm. we arrive out of shavasana, because that's when it all sort of gets absorbed in and yep. um, all assimilated in, and it all kind of just glues together and you can uh, just enjoy you can just enjoy being with your breath in that present moment Um, you know I've been to classes before where uh, I actually took um, a workshop a couple of years ago uh, a New York instructor who I guess was, was starting to build little mini celebrity for himself. He came down to Tampa and led um, this two-hour workshop that was basically just, uh, you know, us slipping up against a wall into handstands and forearm stands most of the time with some sun salutations at the beginning. And in two hours, the Shavasana must have been four minutes long. And I I left feeling so off and my energy was just agitated, and I I felt like, you know how most of the time people um, will leave a yoga class and be like, oh, like you said, that's exactly what I needed. I feel so good. It it wasn't like that. And I was really, I I mean, sitting with that energy, I was like, oh, my God, this really didn't didn't happen for me. Um, And the Shavasana got downplayed so much in light of the other more physical elements of the practice. And so for me, mm-hmm. you know, Shavasana is where the beauty is. That's, that's the heart of the practice, and you can't shortchange a, a good no. Shavasana. Yeah, you can't because that is the goal, and you need that. When people cut out, I think, oh, they're missing out on so much, they have no idea. Because that's, you know, you, you don't, people will say, I, I don't get anything in meditation. You're not supposed to. You know, you're not supposed to get anything. You're not like in it trying to intuit things. You're just in it to be in the moment. But it's funny. When you do that and then you come home and take a shower, I can't tell you. There's a pad of paper and a pen in the bathroom because I come out of the shower and I start up all these ideas because the water mm-hmm. triggers whatever was going on, and water does that with people, and you can be extremely creative. So it helps in every aspect of your life. Unfortunately, we're almost at the top of the hour, so I want to thank you, Melissa, so much for joining us here on Energy Awareness Radio. But before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and where they may purchase your book, Going Home? Oh, of course. Um, and thank you so much again for having me on the show. It's been such a blast. Um, the book is called Going Home, Real Life Stories on and Off the Yoga Mat. And you can get more information on the book on my website, which is melissacarolyoga.com. It's M-E-L-I-S-S-A. C-A-R-R-O-L-L-Yoga.com. And um, the book is available at Barnes & Nobles. Uh, You can get it through Amazon. And you can get it at your local independent bookstore, too. And if they don't have it, you can just tell them that you want it, and they can always um, order it for you as well. Uh, Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are quite welcome. Thank you for joining us. You know, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthily, purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show, one you just heard, to everyone you know, and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. Make sure you mark your calendar. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, a lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting throughout the remainder of this year, including upcoming Crystal Singing Bowl concerts, 
If you're not in the area or you cannot make a concert, you can order my CD, Imagine, from the site as well. That is a CD of Quartz Crystal healing music played on Quartz Crystal singing bowls. My new CD, The Healing Sounds of Christmas, which was just released on October 1st, is now available on my site as well. And that CD contains 26 traditional Christmas carols played on a non-traditional, in a non-traditional way because the instrument is a quartz crystal harp. And that is a new instrument. Actually, the patent is still pending, and there are very few people in the world who own that instrument. And I dare say that this may be the first CD of this type. It is healing music, but it's healing music from a, crystal, a quartz crystal harp. And I'm told my feedback is that it's hauntingly beautiful music and the CDs are really selling quickly. So go to my site, quantumwellness.org, and order your copy of The Healing Sounds of Christmas today. So you can have it in time to enjoy, enjoy it for the holidays or perhaps buy it as a gift for others to enjoy as well. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Radio. That's at Radio. I am your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a roof over my head. I got a warm place to sleep. So that's all I It's not a hand.